Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. My guest today is Brian Fuller, the CEO of Integrated Care Solutions, a care management and coordination company that manages care for 90 days after a hospital discharge. We discuss the relationship between acute and post-acute care and what skilled nursing facilities need to do to thrive in a value-based world. Before we get the interview started, I'd like to let you know about the 2019 Architecture and Design Awards, put on by our sister publication, Senior Housing News. Enter your newly developed SNF in this year's awards under the Nursing Home category. Over the last seven years, hundreds of entries from across the country have been judged in this program. To find out more information about the competition, visit www.shnawards.com. I am sitting on the sidelines of the Post Senior Care 360 Conference with Brian Fuller of Integrated Care Solutions. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to start with the history of Integrated Care Solutions and your work with bundled payments. Can you talk a bit about this? Because we are in an interesting time for bundled payments and for post-acute care. Yeah, sure. So ICS has an interesting story. We were actually a spinoff of a very successful Model 3 BPCI participant who was a skilled nursing facility provider. Once Model 3 ended, BPCI Advanced was announced, post-acute care provider could no longer initiate bundles under Advanced. They were left with the question of, well, what do we do with the capabilities and the technology and all of the, the lessons that we've learned over the last several years? And so they made a decision to pivot all of those assets and learnings into a new company uh, now known as Integrated Care Solutions. And so today we're actually a convener under BPCI Advance. We partner directly with hospital systems and physician group practices, and we take the risk on their behalf directly with Medicare under the program. And then we work with those hospital systems and physician groups to set about change and be successful in generating savings under the clinical conditions that we enter into the program with together. And I know you focus on transitions of care as one of those key areas to the post-acute setting. You see both sides of it. Can you talk a little bit about the post-acute and acute sides of care and Given that sometimes acute care seems to see post-acute as simply the side to reduce, what are some of the disconnects from acute care to post-acute care in terms of care transitions? There are many, too many to discuss today. Everything from the language that is used between the two settings, uh, what drives each business model. There are just so many differences between the acute care business model and the post-acute care uh, business model. However, setting all of that aside, I think the, the two big gaps that we see are what I'll call warm handoffs, where there is a clinician-to-clinician engagement. Uh, information is shared that is pertinent and critical to the health status of the patient, uh, the medical condition, but also all of the other socioeconomic family environment things going on. Uh, with the patient, which is why we put nurses in the field to be able to bridge some of those gaps between not just acute and post-acute, but also even when you get into post-acute, you know, there are gaps between skilled nursing facility and home health transitions, for example. And so I think that's one big gap is just a clinician who is the quarterback, if you will, or the navigator, commonly used term, that is making sure that all of the history 
all of the perspective, all of the information, whether it's medication list or labs or um, previous health conditions, comorbidities, et cetera, all of that stuff is seamlessly transitioned from one clinical care team to the next. There's a huge gap, and that, again, transcends um, all settings. The second really is technology. We're becoming increasingly a tech-enabled industry, and the ability to be more efficient in what we do is, is no longer a nice-to-have. It's an imperative. And the reality is none of our technology tools today transcend settings of care. Um, all of the largest uh, EMR systems really focus on that silo of care and don't go outside of the wall. So whether you know we commonly work with Epic uh, on the hospital side, point-click care on the SNF side, home care, home base on the home health side, none of those EMR systems um, extend the patient's information, documentation, background, all of those things in a kind of a 90-day picture, regardless of where the patient is. And so that's the other thing ICS has had to invest heavily in um, is a technology system, a care management platform uh, that essentially works with all of those EMRs and takes in information, but also aggregates that into um, a workable system that our nurses can interact with and manage the patients actively, again, across that 90-day period of care. So given that you see both the acute and the post-acute sides, what are some of the disconnects on the post-acute sides from acute care? What does post-acute not understand about what acute care is trying to do and what its incentives are in terms of generating care savings? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, in all fairness, particularly skilled nursing facilities are are in a, in a situation of, of disadvantage. I mean, they're highly targeted for savings, uh, and understandably so. I mean, if you look at the data, lengths of stays are very long in some parts of the country still, and generally long in, across the country, but it's really uh, compounded in, in certain parts of the country. And then if you look at post-acute just broadly, it's a large area of variation in the Medicare system. So it shouldn't be a surprise to post-acute that they're being targeted for savings. I think the disconnect really comes in in a couple of different ways. So one, I think from the perspective of post-acute, rather than sitting back and taking that target or just viewing the acute care hospital as an antagonist to those savings, trying to figure out how to better work with acute care hospitals in more of a partner-oriented way. I'll give you an example. Uh, Recently, we were at LTC 100. Uh, I gave this example yesterday here at the meeting. And at a skilled nursing facility provider approach me and say, we want to get more active in bundles. We want to move up the food chain, if you will, and, and not just serve as kind of a downstream source of savings. But we know that there are certain capabilities uh, that we do not have and certain partners that we need to bring to the table. And so what this particular SNF provider did was went to a large specialty physician practice in their market that they had close relationships around some clinical programs in their building, brought ICS to the table for our care management, data and analytics, clinical assessment capability, and packaged that together in a solution and went to the hospital 
the largest hospital system in their market, and presented that package to the hospital. Um, ICS was present, the physician group leadership was present, and the SNF leadership was present um, as a pitch for how we could all collaboratively work together and approach bundles together with the hospital being the episode initiator. That's an idea of creativity, quite frankly, and for a sniff spinning what would normally be just a target for savings into being an active solution-oriented partner that now has a seat at the table, A, from the very beginning, and B, they're going to be a gain-sharing partner in that because of their significant role um, in bringing the solution together. So that's an example, I think, of you know, post-acute thinks of themselves as the target of savings. They've got to get out of that mindset and say, that is the reality. It is what it is. How do we then change our role, be more creative, and take more ownership for being a solution with our partners um, rather than just, to some degree, idly sitting back um, and letting them target us for savings? Not to let acute care off the hook here. Okay. There are some disconnects on the hospital side as well. You know, again, some of this is lack of education. The acute care hospital side largely does not understand what drives a skilled nursing facility business. And so uh, we try to educate them as well, but I'll give you a common um, example where, you know, inevitably there are lower lengths of stay expectations under bundles. It just, again, is the reality. Mm -hmm. um, and I would argue it's necessary. I would also argue if you look at evaluation reports, it doesn't negatively impact quality or readmissions, despite SNFs wanting it to. It hasn't. And so that, that trend isn't going to stop as long as bundles continue to be pervasive and expanded in the industry. Where I think acute care has to get smarter, if you will, or more willing to be a balanced partner is if you're going to require skilled nursing facilities to lower length of stay in this reimbursement environment, you've got to be willing to narrow your network to high quality providers and direct more of your referrals to those skilled nursing facilities. I think this does two things. One, it replaces those lost days into more stays. Mm -hmm. um, and that generally is going to be welcomed by the SNF industry and the particular the SNFs in that market. And then secondly, why wouldn't you want your patients coming out of the hospital to go to the highest quality providers in your market? That's what they want. They just don't know how to make that choice. And so I think that's a movement that we struggle with in working with our acute care hospital partners is getting them um, to that point where they're not only um, acknowledging that they have a network of high quality, quote unquote, preferred providers, but they're actively working with them and actively encouraging patients to go to that network again for the right reasons. And what you mentioned in terms of the SNF moving into the uh, physician group and saying, look, we want to work with you and go to this hospital. That's really interesting to me because I remember hearing how worried SNFs were about bundled payments for Care Advanced where they couldn't be episode initiators. And that sounds like a very interesting example of a SNF being able to work around the fact that they can't serve as initiators under that particular model. I know that there has been chatter. I've heard this at different conferences 
about a post-acute bundle. I've seen coverage of it where the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation has floated, possibly looking at another post-acute bundle. Can you talk a little bit about what movement you've seen on that front and whether or not that's something CMS wants to look into? Yep. Yeah. So I'll, I'll hit your first point first, which you're absolutely correct. The example I gave is an example of a SNF being, again, creative. BPCI Advance did limit the ways that post-acute can directly participate, um, and I think it was disappointing to a lot of the industry. And so it does require or put more of the burden on SNFs to figure out how can they participate in the current program um, in BPCI Advanced. Having said all that, to your second point, yes, there is chatter. There is actually active working groups um, who are uh, designing options for what a post-acute bundle could look like. This group is being led by ACA, along with the other major post-acute associations in the industry, including uh, Home Health Association, uh, the Inpatient Rehab Hospital Association, and the LTAC. Um, so all are at the table working on this um, in working groups. They've studied a number of different bundled structures. They have narrowed it down to two, and they've got working groups focused on those two program concepts so that they can go meet with CMS later this summer to actively discuss with CMS what a post-acute bundle could look like from the post-acute industry's perspective. Uh, the other thing that CMS has done very vocally, they did have a listening session last spring where they brought into D.C. several successful Model 3 participants mm -hmm. and asked about their experience. They, being CMS, also floated two concepts of their own for a post-acute bundle. What so, were those? Yeah, so they were very conceptual. It wasn't a lot of detail, but it was things like mandatory versus voluntary. You know, what is the reaction of the Model 3 to that kind of concept of mandatory versus voluntary? Another concept is, which gets at some of the evaluation report criticism of Model 3, which is a blended setting bundle where you don't have it just initiating in a SNF or initiating in a home health, but rather patient comes out of the hospital and there's a bundle for that patient, regardless of what their first side of post-acute care is. So they could essentially trigger a bundle, if you will, in any post-acute um, setting. So I call that a blended model. So that concept um, is something that's being floated and, and continued to be discussed and as part of the, some of the working group work that's going on. So I say all that to say, I can't sit here and tell you what form a post-acute care bundle is going to take. What I can tell you is there is active interest and work going on on multiple fronts, both at CMS and in the industry. And if you just look at some of the commentary from leaders like Adam Bowler, um, you know, CMS has been very vocal about uh, that their ears are open. I think Adam made some comment like, if, if you have thoughts about a post-acute bundle, now is the time to make your thoughts known. And so I don't think it is a matter of if we will have a post-acute care bundle. I think the question is when will they feel, they being CMS, feel comfortable enough that they've got the right design with all of the industry feedback that they desire in order to make a step towards announcement. And that's interesting to hear because right now in the bundled payment world, skilled nursing facilities 
seem to be a little along the sidelines. Uh, I don't know if you would say that's a fair characterization or not. I, I would, yeah. I mean, it's it, again, it requires creativity. When you can't directly step in and raise your hand and say, I want to participate and this is clearly how I can participate, the path forward becomes a bit more obscure. And so I think SNFs, quite frankly, have struggled with that of, you know, if we can't be episode initiators, what can we be? And unfortunately, I think the, the example I gave of the, the SNF bringing the solution together is the exception, not the rule. Rather, what the industry has done largely is sit back down, if you will, and take a very kind of downstream provider, somewhat passive approach to this. Having said that, there are great SNF partners out there. We work with many of them every day in our market to greet us at the door, who bring us into their weekly Medicare meetings, who understand what we're trying to accomplish, who actively work with us to improve on the care and the utilization, and understand that that's just the world in which we live. But then there are still those who shut the door in our face, and particularly for their long-term care residents, for example, stretch out the days because they know they're going to transition to long-term care in their building. So you know, I don't want to paint a broad brush and say that everyone's kind of sitting on their hands and fighting this because there certainly are a large number of skilled nursing facility providers who are doing what they can do in their market with the providers who are uh, engaging in, in bundles. One point that I wanted to make sure I asked about was the issue of accountable care organizations. They came up quite a bit at an earlier conference this spring, and they came up again at this particular conference with the issues that accountable care organizations have created for post-acute and for skilled nursing facilities in particular. You and I both know that CMS has been pushing ACOs into taking on downside risk. What is that going to do with how ACOs interact with skilled nursing facilities? Is it going to make the situation better for the relationship between them, or is it going to make it worse? Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. The quote, I think ACOs have been a disaster for SNFs. That's that's an interesting soundbite. You know, I, I think there's a, a piece of that that's understand an understandable perspective. I think the state we're in with ACOs is they're in very different places. And as a result of that, the approaches they have taken very greatly, particularly in the way that they work with post-acute care providers in their market. Some examples You've got some ACOs who have taken holdbacks, withholds, on the claims from SNF into Medicare. So they've with they've gotten approval to withhold, you know, five percent of the claims, and then the SNFs have to earn that back. Is that the best way to work with the SNFs in your market? Probably not. Um, has that garnered a reaction that is somewhat understandable from the post-acute sector? Absolutely. Having said that, that's not the way every ACO has chosen to work um, with SNF providers in their market. There are those out there who have formed networks, and their networks are meaningful and collaborative and two-sided. And what I mean by that is you know, they've set about criteria uh, for who is a high-quality provider in their network. They regularly meet with them. They regularly share information back and forth. The information sharing or the data sharing isn't one-sided. The ACO is also sharing information back with the skilled nursing facility providers, and they use that relationship, that data, that dialogue to work on things actively together that improve 
performance or improve care or improve handoffs or improve information flow from the hospital's EMR into the skilled nursing facility. So that's where I think it works really well. And there are certainly not an insignificant number of examples out there where that is how it's working. I think in the middle of all of that, those extremes is a lot of noise. And I think a lot of that is to what you said, most ACOs have been sitting in track one for three or four or five or even six years now, and they've only had upside risk. And what that has caused is a large amount of variability into what is motivating the ACO. Um, are they motivated to really set about change? If they're motivated to change, is it in the area of post-acute or is post-acute kind of sitting off to the side? And if you ask most every ACO, do they have a SNF network? Almost all of them will say yes. The devil is in the details of that, of you know, how are they working with them differently if they are? Um, is it all about length of stay or is it about things that are broader than that. So I think that's a little bit of the dynamic when you hear sound bites like ACOs have been a disaster for sniffs, you know, is that there's certainly an, an acknowledged variation in how those relationships happening today in markets. What do I think will happen as CMS pushes more of them into downside risk? I think it will accelerate certainly the importance of post-acute care. I think whatever the ACO was doing prior it will accelerate those efforts. So if they had a network prior and really weren't working with them, um, I think you can see much more activity um, for them to actively be working with the SNF network. Um, I think you'll see more capability being developed around care management. You may see, for example, um, if a hospital ACO has a large physician network, you may see them push those physicians into your buildings. Or you may see them hire care coordinators into the community, many of which are rounding in your buildings. Um, so whatever's been happening in your market, again, there's a lot of variation. Um, I think as an ACO takes on downside risk, you can expect those efforts to intensify. And that relationship between you and the ACO, hopefully to increase its effectiveness and, um, and frequency and, and level of, of collaboration. One last point that I wanted to make sure we discussed was at this particular conference, I would say from my assessment that the issue of payment and the changes in reimbursement is a low-key thread running through many of the general sessions. The issue of payment for post-acute care, variation in post-acute care spending. Can you talk a little bit about the state that bundled payments is in right now as the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services seems to be moving toward a new approach toward payment. Where would you say that movement is right now? And then how do skilled nursing facilities adjust to a world that is increasingly less and less fee-for-service and more and more Medicare advantage and with seemingly an eye to paying more for value? Yeah. So I think there, so generally I would characterize the state of payment policy today as we're throwing a lot of things against the wall and trying to see what sticks. So whether that's alternative payment models like ACOs and bundle payment program, the Medicare Advantage plan, or even reimbursement changes in fee-for-service like PDPM, discussions of site-neutral post-acute payment, you know, all of those things are balls being launched at the wall to see what sticks. That admittedly is what's challenging for skilled nursing facility providers because they feel like they're getting hit from all angles. And again, 
fully understandable perspective. It's a lot to balance for any business, uh, particularly the highest regulated business in all of healthcare. Having said that, I think there are some common themes that if I'm a SNF operator, you just have to acknowledge and get on with it. You know, some of those themes are length of stay is going to go down in fee-for-service. It just is. Utilization is likely going to go down until we have hit this kind of baby boomer state where it backfills some of that. But the type of patient coming into SNF is changing and will continue to change more to this clinically complex, multi-comorbid, med surge on a hospital floor look-alike patient. Less so orthopedics, simple strokes, hip fractures, etc. And so I think that's a common um, theme that will continue to play out. The whole idea of quality being a driver of payment and performance. You know, we're starting out with readmissions as like the commonly accepted definition of quality. That will grow over time to be more about hopefully quality of life and patient satisfaction and functional gains and independence. But those who can do better with patients, I think, will win regardless of the payment mechanism. The reduction of therapy um, as a driver of payment, I think, is another common theme. We've been driven really in all of post-acute by the more therapy we do, the more we get paid, the better everyone feels about everything. And PDPM and PDGM are both signals that we're going to move away from therapy as a driver. So I think that's a common theme. Certainly was never a driver in Medicare Advantage. It's not a driver in bundles and in the ACO program. So I think we all can acknowledge, you know, what role now does therapy play? Because it's no longer artificially driving uh, reimbursement and and fee-for-service. So I think if you start to acknowledge those themes, um, not that you can eliminate getting caught up in the details of all of these various mechanisms, but if your true north, if you will, are the themes um, that are common, I think those are the providers that will be successful. And again, the more that we can just accept that utilization has to go down, I think the more equipped we'll be to be proactive and responsive and effective in the work that we do from here. The other thing I'll just say about that briefly, because it, it, it's interesting sitting, you know, I, I consider myself a post-acute guy, but it's always interesting to me sitting in meetings like this week where SNFs are discussing utilization pressures. And if you just go back and look at the rehab hospital industry 15 years ago, 40% of their cases were joint replacements. Now it's virtually none of their volume. Spinal cord injury lengths of stay were measured in months, not days. It's now days. So our healthcare delivery system constantly evolves, and there's utilization changes and pressures and practice pattern changes, and a lot of those are driven by reimbursement. So this is all that to say, this is nothing new. We've seen this story before. Um, it's played out in other sectors of the industry, and it does feel like it's playing out in skilled nursing facility industry right now um, at a kind of fever pitch, if you will. So then my last question to that would be, how do you get through it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the $20 billion question, I guess. Yeah. So, I, th you know, I think one way is to use all of those common themes I said as your true north. You know, I, I think that's a start that admittedly fundamentally changes your business model in a lot of ways. You know, your therapy department has to think differently. Your discharge planning department or social work has to think 
uh, differently. Even what your nurses do and how they interact with patients, I think, have to be different. The other thing I would say, and I, I know I've said this word now multiple times in our discussion, you've got to be creative. And I think the creativity has to be directed to partnerships. So stop sitting back and thinking about yourself as a downstream provider or vendor and think about how you can move more upstream um, again and be creative. And, and, you know, ultimately, I would say the mindset I would try to infuse in my day if I was a sniff operator would be, how can I be a solution? How can I be a solution to the hospital in my market, to the largest physician practice referral uh, source in my market, to the big payers in my market? Not to say that they're all going to be willing to listen to you and you're going to get a meeting the very next day. However, if you run your business, design your business as a solution to those entities, I think you will win ultimately. Brian, thank you so much for making the time to be a part of this podcast and for talking to me at Silence's conference. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing news industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.